gonna get it rolling speaking of rolling did you roll anybody did you roll any up are we all prepared to smoke no well we're set we're not gonna be smoking on air (laughs) (laughs) okay okay fair enough we well we're in the house and we got kids in the house so okay okay yeah respect well um chris rachel um really quick folks welcome to the chillinoy podcast if you want to see the video version go to chillinoy.net slash video um i'm cole phil why don't you say hi for our audience real quick hey i'm phil <laughs> that's phil and chris <laughs> and rachel i'd like to welcome you back to the chillinoy podcast please reintroduce yourselves hey cole this is chris berry with the illinois hemp growers association I'm the vice president of the organization we've been doing this for about five years um, ever since the passage of the hemp bill in 2018 and i'm here with my wife rachel and hi, Cole. Thanks for having us back. I'm Rachel Berry. I'm the president of the IHGA. Um, for those of you who don't know, we're a grassroots membership organization focused on the issues here in Illinois, you know, uh, speaking with our representatives, our farmers, our business owners, um, you know, doing what we can to promote a sustainable and equitable hemp industry here in Illinois. Sweet. And Rachel, before you tell us what you got going on, um, why don't you tell the audience where they can find you online? Great. Yeah, you can find us at IllinoisHGA.com. Um, you can also find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, even LinkedIn. Sweet. While I get rolled up and ready to rock, why don't you give us a recap of what you got going on? Yeah, thanks. Okay, so we've had a lot of cool stuff going on this year. Um, I actually have a little handy list here. Um, starting in the beginning of the year, um, some of you who are you know, familiar with the hemp industry or following along, or maybe your IHGA members, um, you know that hemp rules were up for public comment. Um, that was back in March. We showed up for public comment. Uh, Chris very diligently went through every hemp plant in the United States and the tribal plans and, you know, picked out the best of the best to, you know, bring forward to Department of Agriculture and, and Pam Harmon. Um, we just heard back recently that um, rules are, what was it? What are we expecting? A second. It's like going to be a second submittal by the end of June. Yeah. So we should hear back about our rules, you know, relatively soon. Um, they'll be approved by the USDA, you know, that will hopefully give us. And then if anyone wants to um, read over what we've submitted to IDOA, you can do that on our website. Again, IllinoisHGA.com. And it's at the bottom of the homepage in the blog section. And I think Chris is going to talk a little bit maybe about those rules um, as we get into the episode. Um, but moving forward, um, I was also really excited. Um, maybe some of you know the National Hemp Association. You know, they're out there doing hemp work similar to what we're doing at a local level. They're doing at a national level. Um, and Illinois HGA was invited to join their um, SCOHO group Um which is their, their state representation for the national group. So we're excited to be taking IHGA, you know, our input, you know, our farmers, our business owners input to a national level with NHA. Um, more developments on that and more projects coming out um, in the future. So we'll keep you updated as that goes along. Um, another cool project is the Southern Illinois University um, plan for a hemp building. Um, I've been working with Southern Hemp or Southern Illinois University um, to just get an, a plan going, get partners together, um, just strategize on how we can get the first hemp building brought to Illinois and have it on campus at um, SIU. So again, more developments on that. We'll share them as they come out. 
You mean like a, a building constructed of hemp? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yep. Um, they, they want to make a geodesic dome, I believe. So we're just working on, you know, what is in the realm of possibility. <laughs> What's but a geodesic dome? The, the guy from uh, Mr. Fuller. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Buckman's. Yeah. You, once you hear the name, you can never forget it. Except, <laughs> except for that time that I just did just now. <laughs> it's like a dome made of uh, hexagons, right? Or is it octagons? Hexagons, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And one other quick question. I'm sorry. Uh, you said you're talk. We're working with the Illinois Department of Agriculture and who and what? You said like Pam oh, Pam Harmon. Har Pamela Harmon. Yeah, the IDOA, Pamela Harmon works within the IDOA. She's like legal. She's part of the oh. legal team. Okay. So when we submitted our public comments at the beginning of March, um, they were to her attention. It was, you know, it, any public comments need to go through the legal team to make sure that they're uh, legally permissible and feasible to implement prior to them being submitted as, you know, a uh, part of the rules that the IDOA is responsible for. Um, so, yeah, and she's been at this process uh, since the beginning as well. I think when we submitted our first comments, which was like February of 2019, uh, they were to Pamela Harmon's attention. So uh, it's good to see some continuity there. And yeah, I think this, this time around, we were a lot more comprehensive with our comments. Cool. Um, anything else, Rachel? Sorry to jump in there with questions. I no, just had a please. few. Yeah, jump in with questions. And if I'm moving too fast, you know, slow me down. Um, let's see. Um, we are part of a group of about 50 partners who were awarded um, a USDA RCPP grant, which is a regional conservation partnership program grant. So that's going to focus on conservation projects, um, stuff to do with climate change, um, you know, smart energy, etc. Um, so we are part of a grant that is going to use hemp to remediate water and soil around Lake Decatur. Um, it's a five-year project, which is just kicking off like this week. Um, we're going to be down there um, probably next week or later this, or no, yeah, this coming week we'll be down there, possibly the week after taking pictures. You know, um, we're going to be working with Tiger Fiber to get the um the seeds planted will be growing fiber um, and that's going to do the remediation for us. And we're going to be taking, you know, our records and, and um, um, oh my gosh, and my brain's fogging up. We're going to be, we're going to be, you know, taking records and sharing data so that we, you know, hopefully have something that we can replicate throughout the country. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah. just to jump in there, the, this first year with tiger fiber, we've got, it's they it's a 500 acre drainage basin that the city of Decatur owns and it's got like 25 foot high earthen walls all the way around it that they can use it's a sediment basin so they can use it to pump sediment and liquid out of the watershed out of the body of water that's there Lake Decatur and they dump it into this basically this giant bowl made of dirt it's 500 acre bowl with dirt walls all the way around it and so that they the uh, the Army Corps of Engineers or whoever their uh, their engineering civil partner is there, they say, okay, this thing is full. The sediment basin is full. You've pumped all the sediment you can out of this water and stored all that you can in this location. This location is now dead. You can't use it for what you want to use it for. But this is a 500 acre field that is loaded with it's it's loaded with nit nitrogen 
and um, it has a high silica content, right? It's a high, okay. it's sandy soil that's loaded with nitrogen. So it's pretty good location to try to grow some hemp. Now it's, it's completely infested with um, Phragmites, which is like an invasive, uh, uh, like basically a cover crop. It's like a giant grass. Okay. Um, and so Tiger Fiber came in, we went and visited the site and with Tiger Fiber, City of Decatur and our RCP partner, RCPP partner, uh, Jeff Beckler out of, uh, North water consulting. Who's the, he's sort of the lead of the project. Uh, and for this first year, all we're going to do is just do some tests in that sediment basin to see what, you know, can we get good results growing in pure sediment? Uh, and then the idea is moving forward over the next four years after that to plant in key strategic locations around the watershed to pull nitrogen and sediment out of that watershed without them having to pump it or create these large storage locations like they have now. They're spending hundreds of thousands to try to control this uh, uh, runoff essentially from the big ag producers. Um, and we can we see this as sort of like a shortcut. So USDA is interested in investing in that. City of Decatur is interested in investing in that. And Northwater Consulting thinks it's feasible. They contacted us. We we were like, this seems amazing. Anything we can do to support, we will. And we we volunteered uh, uh, forty hours of our time every year at least. You know, we'll get we'll give well, a, a month of working weeks each of us. So 160 from me, 160 from Rachel over the yeah. next five years going into getting this program up and running off the ground for this year. There's not going to be a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of data collected other than just a trial. But then coming next year, we will have farmers around that area planting seeds and we will be collecting an incredible amount of data um, to show uh, that hemp can help improve and and remediate some of the conditions that are created by conventional ag. And I mean, just a quick, just to put it in a bottle for our listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but by remediate, you mean suck out some of those things for lack of better words, right? Exactly. Exactly. Not just, not just like prevent, but, but fix. Now, my question is the, uh, David Lakeman talked about hemp on my podcast and mentioned that it's good at remediating soil. And I have like a plot of land near my house. That's uh, you can't live on it because some factory dumped a bunch of chemicals. I can't think of what the chemical is right now, but I talked to him and he's like, yeah, hemp could suck that up out of the soil and remediate it. But then you have to destroy that hemp in a safe way because the hemp has all of the chemicals in it. I can't think it's like a heavy metal or something. Um, but what are you, how can I ask? I know that's down the line, but how are you going to be disposing of this hemp? You suck it up, but where are you going to put it? Yeah. So you're probably you're probably dealing with like cadmium, something like that. Uh, so it, for heavy metals, yeah, there is the potential. Some varieties of hemp show more um, phytoremediative activity in that regard than others. But um, yes, it, it, there is, you can find a variety of hemp that will reduce the quantity of heavy metal in your soil. What do you do when it sucks it up? That's a great topic for discussion. There are some ways to sequester it. I mean, obviously, if you, if you just grow the crop, roll it and till it back into the soil, it's just going back into the soil, right? right. But, you, but so, there is some conversion process going on there as well, right? So like, it's not just sucking it up straight you're going to end up diluting it over time regardless, right? The plant matter turns into dust. The dust, like as it, the plant dries and desiccates in the fall after, if you leave it standing instead of 
chopping it down or whatever. It's going to desiccate. The the plant itself is going to become dry and dusty. And some of that dust is going to contain those heavy metals and it's going to speak cast to the wind. Right. So, yeah, it, it's not the ideal solution, especially if there's like a preschool downwind from you. But uh, but, uh, you know, er, er, what they say is the solution to pollution is dilution. Right. So this is part of that. It, it definitely does pull out of the soil and dilute. And then what what you end up with is, yeah, if you, you know, the, all the traditional uses of of hemp stalks for building materials or for um for pyrolysis, right? If you burn it, now you're, you're gasifying it, right? So again, you're, you are changing. It's a chem, it's a, it's a chemical reaction happening. You are burning the heavy metal now. So now you're converting again, chemical conversion there. So again, some level of dilution is happening. Is it ideal? No. So pyrolysis, probably not the best either, especially if you have a preschool downwind or, or people are growing a community garden or whatever. Um, so then you have sequestration, right? So what can you do? You can put it into blocks. You can put it into blocks and put a barrier between those blocks on the ground. And now you have blocks, right? But you don't obviously don't want them exposed to the interior of your space. So you can use these blocks for limited building applications. Yes, they're, they're frozen in blocks. But if you go and chip on those blocks, uh, you and over time the blocks uh, degrade in in one way or another. You're, you're it's again it's coming back out into the environment. So this this is what but this is part of why we love hemp. Uh, you know you can put a lot of thought into this, and there are so many great challenges like this that require new strategies and innovation to deal with those types of things. Now, before, before we had hemp to do this, it wasn't even an option. Your soil, the only option you had was come in uh, and do hazmat cleanup. You just bring in the excavators and truck out the soil. Right. Uh, and so now with this option, yeah, it's another option, but we, there definitely needs to be a lot of innovation on that side of things. And it's not being done at a large scale yet because of things like that. So we would love to see more progress towards that. Um, but for the RCPP, it's not, it's not about pulling heavy metals out. It's about pulling out What's RCPP, action. the regional conservation partnership program we were talking about with city. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's, um, it's about pulling excess nitrogen out so that, it, you know, nitrogen is just the, one of the build, basic building blocks of plants. So, um, it's, it's a much different scenario. Uh, what our plan with the end product of that stuff, uh, can, it can pretty much go anywhere after that. We plan to okay. bail, bail it up and, and whoever is the closest. And, and, uh, I, I mean, tiger fiber is the one who are the ones who are going to want to take it and do something with it. But yeah, I guess that's a long-winded answer, but it's a very interesting question. It's an insightful question, Cole. Um, it, it could help, but yeah, in, in the in the end, you need a partner on the on the backside to be able to handle that material still. Yeah. Well, thanks, Heather. Uh, or sorry, Heather. Uh, Rachel, I mean to say. Um, uh, I don't know where Heather came from. I think I was working with somebody named Heather today. Um, <laughs> but Rachel, uh, we got off on a tangent with remediation. And, um, I wanted to ask what else is going on? Yeah, uh, okay. once again, folks, Illinois HGA.com. And as you mentioned, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's the blog posts and it looks like there's even a way to support something we might be talking about today. So, um, go ahead. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that will bring me to the next point. Um, 
we have been um, having meetings like all this year with our representatives, our members and their representatives to talk about, you know, just issues in hemp. Um, one of those are um, the farm bills coming up, farm bill 2024. So we've been talking to reps about what we'd like to see in the farm bill. That is also on our website and you can go ahead and click that and read all about it. Um, attached documents and all kinds of goodies. Um, if you're interested to know more about, you know, hemp in the farm bill and what that might look like. Um, we also been talking to them about, which was one of those things you scrolled past, the fiber and grain exemption, which is basically um, a way for those of us that are growing hemp for fiber and grain do not have to deal with the same regulation um, and testing requirements that those hemp growers who are growing cannabinoids um, would have to go through. Um, again, you can read more about that right there on our website. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're talking about protecting cannabinoids and including Delta-8 with our representatives. Um, just today, we launched uh, a, an action that, that folks can take. We want you to reach out to your reps um, in the email that we sent out. Um, if you didn't receive it, you can reach out to us again at IllinoisHGA.com and we can hook you up with that information. Um, but basically, you know, reach out to your reps, let them know that, you know, you have a story to share, um, you have a business, you're a farmer, um, you know, whatever, whatever way it is that you want to support hemp, there's a lot of topics, you know, whether it's farm bill, um, or you're a hemp and grain, or you're a fiber and grain grower, or, you know, you're a cannabinoid grower, um, you know, we need to reach out to our reps. And this summer, you know, as we're going to talk about, you know, in a few minutes, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, stuff going on around, you know, surrounding especially Delta 8, but, you know, cannabinoids in general. So, you know, this summer, let's, let's, um, you know, hit the road and, and get out and reach out to our representatives, whether it's a Zoom call, um, a farm tour, um, or, you know, meeting in, in an office somewhere. Um, all of it counts. Yeah, thank you. You pulled up our, our uh, Instagram post. Um, please share. You can tag your reps in this post. Uh, we just want to meet with our, you know, we want to get around and meet with our reps, you know, boots on the ground, in person, showing them, you know, representatives of these businesses, of these farms that are actually out there, you know, doing this work and providing these products and the service to our community. Um, you know, we need to, our representatives need to hear it from us. So, you know, reach out if you're interested in um, having the IHGA join you for a meeting with your representatives. Um We'll let Chris get to more in just a minute. Very quickly, I just want to pitch. We have a couple events going on. Um, the first one is we have coming up in July, the 21st and the 22nd. We're going to be collaborating with um, ISU and the Crop Sciences um, Department to do their hemp open house. So come view all the research, the plots that ISU has growing. Um, is some, it ISU or is it U of I? It is U of I. Thank you for correcting me. U of I. It's U of I Champaign, not yes. Illinois That's State cool. yes. University. Are you going to be working with Doc Young Lee? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. My apologies, apologies, Dr. Lee, for missing up those acronyms. They always get jumbled to me. Um, but yes, we're going to be working with UIUC Crop Sciences Hemp Open House. Come see the, the fields. Um, come see our demos. I'm going to be there. Chris might be there. Um, I'm going to bring some hempcrete stuff if you've never seen. Um, I might be there. Oh, great. Cole, it'll be great to see you there. Um, I'm going to do some raffles, some fun stuff, but it should be a great day of, you know, learning, uh, getting caught up with the latest in research and networking. Um, so again, that's the 21st and 22nd on our, um, on our social media, there is a, a, 
a flyer and a link and you can register. The registration is really simple. It's just please select which day we can expect you to be there. Um, nothing super formal. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see you there. Um, then I will be, um, oh, one more thing about that is sponsors are needed. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for UIUC Crop Sciences and the Hemp Research or just this event, please reach out to me, Rachel at IllinoisHGA.com. Um, or and I can share with you in the chat at some point, um, Dr. Lee's email, probably be, be, be best to reach out to him directly about it, but I can always funnel the information over. Um, the other thing is we'll be at the Illinois State Fair again this year. So it'll be the second year we're there. Um, Sling and Hempcrete providing education uh, with IDOA. That's the 14th through 20th. Um, we're also sponsors of Ag Day at the State Fair, and we get to go to the breakfast every year. We love to bring our members with. So if you are a member of the IHGA who's listening and you would like to join us for that breakfast, please reach out and let us know. And we'll make sure that there is a ticket for you and you can join us in the celebration of the day. Um, we're also going to be at the Ag Progress Show, accompanied by a plethora of Illinois uh, hemp movers and shakers, um, namely the Midwest Hemp Growers Group who we are growing hemp with this year for this group that is um, connected to University Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, Purdue, and Michigan, um, just to collect data, you know, and, and different varieties growing in different regions. Um, so we'll be, there will be a hemp plot there. And I believe there's gonna be a hemp plot at the state fair as well um, of fiber at both. So if you've never seen hemp or you've never seen hemp fiber, you'll just definitely have to, to see us at one or the other of those shows one in Springfield, that's the State Fair, the other in um, Decatur, uh, not far actually from where the RCPP grounds that we're growing this hemp for will be, and we might be able to make tours over there. We're trying to work out the details. Um, and then the very last thing is it's our five-year anniversary this year, and we are hosting our fifth-year uh, anniversary celebration for a second year at, in Princeton um, at the Chapel Hill Golf Golf course and disc golf course. Um, so if you are, uh, you know, you want to celebrate with us five years of hempen in Illinois, um, if you're a disc golf person, like you definitely won't want to miss this. Um, it's great fun. It's a big, beautiful course. Um, we had a great time last time. Cole was there. Justine was there um, doing interviews with some of our members in the community. Um, we'd love to see you. Details for that can be found on our website, IllinoisHGA.com right there on the homepage. Um, so thank you so much for letting me get all of those updates out. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So folks, uh, get connected, IllinoisHGA.com. Um, yeah, that's Philip. That's the, I, I went to that, um, Chapel Hill golf course and that's the first place I met Marianne Longcar. So oh, yeah, yeah. that was where our first interview that. was. But anyways, um, well, cool. Chris, why don't we get into uh, legislative recap? What the heck happened? All right. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Rachel. Um, so is she going to go bow her head and say a prayer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, yeah, she's got other things to do as well. I get it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but... I was trying to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to go through. I mean, yeah. doing this stuff for five years. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, the, the legislative stuff. Right. So I guess this all, it's kind of interesting how it developed, right? So like we have, like we mentioned, we did a public comment back in 
first week of March. And that was, this is where I see it coming from. Right. Like it's well, like, it's like, and can it, I, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't mean to like derail your, I literally just asked you to start, but I feel like it started even before March. Like uh, if I'm not mistaken, cannabis business association of Illinois has had it as like a legislative priority for at least a few years now. Right. So, I mean, these talks sure. may have started in March, but uh, they've been trying to get your cannabinoids for a little bit longer than that. Right. It's true. I guess like, uh, you know, we've had the CBD safety act come up uh, mm-hmm. and we can go all the way back to was it either 2019 or 2020. If you if you search for an article, uh, it says like hemp advocates call out. Uh, it was Bob Morgan who were calling out um, about trying to regulate hemp hemp derived cannabinoids. Right? He was like, "This is a public safety issue. This is an emergency." Uh, and uh, uh, you know, the children are dying. Children are dying. Uh, people are being poisoned, etc. And, and we were like, well, you know, uh, this, this effort obviously seems like, uh, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything, but when you work in the cannabis industry and then you come and you enter, you introduce bills into our, our Congress that specifically benefit the camp, the cannabis industry at, at the detriment to the hemp industry. It, to me, it just seems like, you know, nobody, you shouldn't be the one doing this. First of all, and and it becomes a bit more transparent as to what the motivations are behind that. Um, but I think I, I think we put it really really good in our public comment um, when we started talking about hemp derived cannabinoids. Like it doesn't really matter where it comes from. The, if it comes from if it comes from the public themselves, if it comes from uh, multi state operator cannabis license holders, if it comes from the hemp producers themselves. Um, and I just, I'd like to read it to you just, just from the beginning of our, uh, defining hemp, hemp extract, the, the request that we put in, it's a, it's a great summary of like where we're at now, right? Politicians, cannabis industry groups, and other special interests have raised concerns about the lack of more stringent health and safety regulation of hemp derived cannabinoids in comparison to cannabis and its derivatives, right? Uh, inconsistent formulations, unlimited maximum dosages, lack of accurate and informative standardized labeling, age restrictions, product contamination, and a lack of safety data on long-term use of novel cannabinoids, including Delta-8, are the most common concerns that we've found through our research. Uh, And whether these concerns are raised in good faith out of an initiative to protect public safety from a purported threat or purely out of a desire to protect your own personal investment, The topic has become increasingly visible to members of the public who now seek action from legislators. It it, it could have started two years ago. It could have started two months ago. It could have started two days ago. It's it. This is where we're at now. Right. So that's how we ended up with this uh, train wreck in, in the end of um, May uh, where they extended the legislative session uh, because of the budget. The state budget wasn't passed yet, but at the same time, they were juggling this cannabis omnibus bill and and flirting with throwing a Delta 8 ban or some level of amendment to the Industrial Hemp Act um, uh, into the omnibus bill. They were trying to amend the cannabis bill and the hemp bill in the same bill, right? Um, And we heard all kinds of stories, right? We heard all kinds of... uh, 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 rumors essentially uh it, it, and a lot of it stems from the way that these 
bills and language are introduced. So what we did back at the beginning of this year was it was part of the official process. The official process is the IDOA says, hey, we're, we are revising our rules. Uh, and according to the rules of JCAR, which is the Joint Committee uh, you know, Administrative Rules for Illinois, according to the rules of JCAR, when, when a department changes the rules on something that they regulate, they need to open up for public comment. The IDOA didn't plan to do that, but if you request that, they have to do it. They don't have to do it, but they should do it. And so they did it. We requested it. They did it. Along, along with other, other people, we requested it. And so they did it. Uh, and so that's the way it's supposed to work. If the rules are going to change, they open up for public comment. You go in, you, you give oral testimony, you put your thoughts and your comments on the record. That's what we did in March. That, that goes into the bureaucracy of government and starts getting chewed on to see if whatever we suggested is feasible. Hopefully we see something by the end of June that reflects that. <clears throat> In the meantime, you have then this is this is the department that makes the rules, not the Congress that makes the laws. The law makes the department make the rules. So we we are feeding into that process. It, it, we, we want rule changes. We don't necessarily need law changes. In our opinion, the law doesn't really have to change that much for us to get to that point where we have age verification and standardized labeling and those types of things. Um, and in that comment that I read from earlier, the way we see it, the only amendment that actually needs to happen, you, you do need to amend the, the uh, industrial hemp act. You need to amend it's uh, 505 ILCS 89. Let me make sure I'm giving that to you uh, correctly. It's yeah. 505 ILCS 89. So new definitions need to be included in that uh, through an amendment uh, to uh, for, for the way we put it was to solidify and enhance the position of producers and retailers within the current market. Uh, while addressing public safety concerns. Uh, and so the way we see it, we th that's part of the problem with what happened at this legislative session is they threw all this last minute stuff in. They threw in a lot of complicated things. They, they tried to amend and define many things all at once. The, the biggest one that I have an objection to is the, the entire phrase intoxicating, right? So never before has this been thrown into uh, some kind of ruling, right? So they, on, on top of some of the language that we saw floating around, language that was attached to basically like rough drafts, not actual bills. It was like the one we saw was SB.XXXXX. It didn't have a bill number. It was just It was just words on a page that they expected legislators to just pick up and turn into a bill. What we saw was they required the Department of Ag to or it was a maybe it was a consortium of, of people from various departments like public health and, and others um, to do a study on intoxication. And that whole the, the concept of having a study of intoxication done like in, in a very limited time frame, because they were they were ready to pass this in in May and they were going to say all of this happens and it's done by January 1st, 2024. So you're going to tell me you're going to have 
a group of government officials do a study that's never been done before on intoxication, and they're going to wrap it up and deliver you comprehensive lawmaking results within half a year. Well, and we're still waiting on the demand study. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's like two years late. So, <laughs> yeah. On the cannabis side, and that's, that's I think, thank you for mentioning that, Philip. Uh, I feel like part of what happened this, this May in the legislative session was this cannabis drama is getting so big that it's spilling over into the hemp industry uh, and that any, any little crumb that they can sort of collect to, to lock down their market share, they will absolutely pursue that path. And for us, like, like I said, we, on the hemp side, we, we follow the, the official process. We follow, we submitted our comment on this, a very comprehensive and, and in our opinion, enforceable uh, aligns with the USDA is, is simple. It makes sense. We, we put that comment in three months before any of this stuff happened. It's very clear, and it's, and it's in the hands of the people who make the rules. It's not in the hands of the people who make the laws. The laws then turn into the rules. We, we're already past that. We're already there. What we, re- we did recommend that there was a retroactive amendment to 505 ILCS, and in that amendment, all we do is add some definitions. We want to define what hemp extract is because it's not there. We want to define the phrase uh, inhalation. We want to define the phrase ingestion. Uh, and we want to, uh, there was a couple other ones, batch, uh, and contaminants unsafe for human consumption. If you can add those, excuse me, if you can add those five definitions to our industrial hemp act, and then add the rules that we suggest on top of that, we have a functional system that provides the things that everybody wants to see. The only, the only thing that it doesn't do is outright ban Delta eight, which the only people that really want to see that are the operators that are trying to hold on to market share as desperately as they can. Which is insane because those companies are supposed to be for decriminalization of these types right. of things. <laughs> right. You, you, you're, you're participating. They're, out here, they're out here hiring DEA agents to go into hemp shops and like buy products and then turn around and tell legislators they're selling this stuff to kids which a lot of them like do their own age checks. I think anyway, I'm sure, you know, some people don't, but. Well, let's, I mean, you want to talk about age checks and buying things in public places that are potentially harmful with no <laughs> age verification. Right. Yeah. How many, how, is there a limit on how many Red Bulls a kid can buy? Is there a yeah. limit on how many 24 ounce extra strong monster energy drinks a, a kid can buy? Uh, not last time I Caffeine checked. So, Boner yeah. pills that you can just buy in the fucking restroom. I mean, <laughs> all of those things, all of those things that don't need age verification. But the big one, in my opinion, is energy drinks is a great comparison. Um, one of the things well, or that- even Cole, Cole has brought it up before that, like you can buy, go buy bleach and drink it. Like there's no law against killing yourself and poisoning yourself with bleach, but we have to make a law. And they, they refer to it as poisoning. Like these children have been poisoned by Delta eight. They just got high and then they freaked out. <laughs> right. Yeah. When you look at the symptoms that they go to the emergency room with, it was like so-and-so was extremely paranoid. So-and-so yeah. was throwing up and it was never like they were having convulsions or seizures or like their temperature was 105 or like they were, you know, blood was coming out of their eyeballs. Like there was none of that. Yeah. Um, just reminded it's... me of my first dab, you know, maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> maybe I should have taken a smaller one. 
you know, well, it can happen. You, you just gotta you be got, careful. Sometimes it's best to jump into the deep end, right? Right. Anyways. Um, yeah, but and no, I, that, I get legis- I get legislators like freaking out when they hear these news stories about high school kids having their hands on this stuff, but like what like making things illegal never kept it out of children's hands, you know. Like right. There's saying, no so. the, and and another great point about uh child friendly pack or child safe packaging, right? You don't need child safe packaging on a pack of cigarettes. You don't need child safe packaging on a case of beer. Uh, or a bottle of liquor or anything like that. Right. So if, it, 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 but going back to the whole poisoning thing, uh, that's what people love to throw that up there. Uh, people were poisoned by hemp, uh, you know, so far across the nation, there have been hundreds of reports of poison control center calls about uh, cannabis edibles uh, and specifically Delta eight. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a couple hundred, uh, as far as I know, the Delta eight industry is in the tens of billions of dollars. So if anything, that's a remarkable safety record, isn't it? So if you think about it, if there's been less than a thousand adverse cases and there's been millions of doses sold, that's a pretty good percentage for safety, right? Uh, on top of that, going back to energy drinks, energy drinks are responsible for 40% of all calls to the poison control center. That's wild. So, I've never heard that before. That's that's the latest that I read is that 40%, roughly 40% of all calls to poison control centers for, for kids being poisoned uh, are um, related to energy drinks or caffeine. Like, like drinking like drinking too much and getting yeah. like an irregular heartbeat. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, and so again, this is widely available to children. It will never be regulated or age restricted. Because the same, they're not going to do that to coffee either. You know, it's just these things. And and again, the same. A great, another great point. There's no child safe uh, packaging on these, and also they they look like candy. They the same thing that they're saying about Delta Eight. Oh, this is packaged to look like Oreos or packaged to look like uh, gummy worms or Skittles or whatever. Uh, same thing with these energy drinks. They look like they're flavored like cotton candy. They look like uh, a, a cylinder of candy. Uh, and it, so most, most of those, um, yeah. It, oh, I know. Cole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great, great one call. So, but that, For that's a 21 and over product. That is a 21 and over product. And, sure. and we don't disagree with that. It should be a 21 and over product. If you, if you, I mean, we can get into the, the weeds and start talking about what's the definition of intoxication. What, how do you breathalyze someone for Delta eight? How do you breathalyze someone for cannabis intoxication in general? You really can't that if there, if it was possible, just, again, it would already is, have been done. What is intoxication? Cause dude, when I drink coffee, which is not very often, I get fucked up. Like I get piped up. Like it's like, ca- like it's like cocaine. I'm like, okay, like I see why people like this. Yeah. I can drink too much really quickly, but nobody's like freaking out about that. You know? In fact, right. a lot of people like pat them like they really they love Starbucks because they're like it's like legal cocaine, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, anyways, sorry, get that's that a little venti bit with the double shot, and you're yeah, you're just, just like what is intoxication? And it's funny how we have like a very narrow scope of what our society considers to be intoxicated. Meanwhile, people are driving around all the time on pills. And anyways, though, again, tangent. Yep. Um, no, I and that's going back to that. You're you're going to expect government officials to do a study on intoxication. Yeah. Maybe some of them have some kind of medical background or science background <laughs> where they, where they can, they can learn and, and make good research and, and make good recommendations. 
uh, and act as an expert or uh, establish, you know, a panel of experts and have hearings and all those great things that we can do. Again, very limited time frame, but it's possible. But with that limited time frame, what I think is more likely is that they're going to push this. And this is all extremely skeptical. Uh, yeah, it's extremely hypothetical at this point because it's not nothing's been passed anyway. You, you, you're going to tell them to, to do this study. What they're going to do is they're going to look for evidence of intoxication. How do you prove this? They're going to end up going to news articles. They're going to pull up the thing from WGN or the thing from uh, uh, the Chicago Tribune or whatever other articles that were out floating around this last month uh, during the legislative session talking about kids getting poisoned or talking about adverse effects to the product itself. Um, and that in my mind, that's not defensible data, right? If we want to know what intoxication is, you have to do real studies, test people's reaction time, test people's ability to drive, test people's ability to uh, 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 react to things in their peripheral vision, uh, those types of things, right? Uh, and I volunteer for that, by the way, if anybody else is, if they're actually going to do that study, I'd be happy to volunteer. Dose me up and put me in a, an empty parking lot and let me drive Throw on some tennis lines. balls at me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Um, I'd be happy to do that. I doubt that'll actually ever happen. So that's part of why this thing failed is it's why we didn't see any movement on this hemp or cannabis thing. And it's a damn shame that we didn't see movement on the cannabis thing. Craft growers don't get their canopy increased. We don't get curbside pickup. We don't get drive through windows. We don't get teleconferencing for medical patients, right? We don't get any of those awesome things that I think four out of five, maybe even more people would say, absolutely, we want this. I Wait, guess. there's no but more they... teleconferencing for med patients? Here's well, they were gonna they were going to enshrine it. I think it might right. have been a temporary when, when thing does it for expire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Renew your stuff now. <laughs> no, seriously. It, I I am under the impression that it will expire. I literally have to renew it this month. <laughs> my thing about both of those things is that they've shown that they can extend it. So they need to fuck around and just extend it indefinitely. Quit fucking around and extend it indefinitely. Just because it's like, obviously they can. Who's going to sue them over that? Right? I think like, I don't know. Anyways, though, sorry. I'm kind of getting off on a hypothetical question. This um, is okay. going back to that point, right? This is, it's hard to get anything done. You have to, it's a month's long. It should be a month's long process where all the stakeholders have input and it goes through an order of events to actually become a thing. It should now, be a six month long process, I think. Cause one of the yeah. things that one of our guests, sorry, I don't mean to like, I think you would agree with that, but one of, our, one of the things our guests pointed out in the past is that, you know, they basically only work for, by they, I mean, our elected representatives work for like half of the year, but they only actually come in for like the last month or so. And it's just rushed. They're just jamming stuff into an omnibus and just forcing it through. And it's like, God damn it. But that's well, a whole and, other topic too. No, that's a great point. And that's, I think we haven't spoke about this yet, but really that's the root cause of all of this drama is mm -hmm. Illinois has a very corrupt way of moving bills through the house which is uh or through the congress which is either house um it, which is the shell bill and gut and replace style legislation so this time what they did was they had a bill that was titled uh affordable insulin act and then they at the last minute gutted that whole bill and turned it into the cannabis regulation and tax act right and so that, it, in our opinion, is the root cause of this. 
and should be fought against because it's unconstitutional. Now, does this have anything to do with cannabis or hemp? No, not at all. This is purely bureaucrats and legislation and constitutional law within the state of Illinois. Is that my area of expertise? Absolutely not. But I feel strongly that it is unconstitutional. And I've seen that uh, other states have had legal battles on their hands, like Hawaii uh, and a couple of the other Eastern states, maybe New York or Pennsylvania, somewhere like that, um, where a concerned group has brought a case to the state Supreme Court and had the Supreme Court rule on the constitutionality of shell bills and gut and replace. Uh, And I think that's kind of where this needs to go. If, if we can't, if we can't make these things transparent to the public and to the, to the business owners who they are affecting, um, we have a problem. And no matter what we do, if we voluntarily put out a bill and regulate ourselves on, on the Delta eight front, what's to say that some, some other amendment couldn't come up at midnight on the last day of a legislative session and change the law from out from under us, no matter what we can, we can work for months to get a, a beautiful and comprehensive Delta eight or just hemp cannabinoid, piece of legislation to, to go through and become law. And, and three, you know, the, the end of uh, the next session, you could have a couple of lobbyists and a couple of legislators jam something through attached to cannabis legislation saying, hey, well, if you want this cannabis stuff, you have to vote on all of this. And guess what? Now Delta 8's banned. Well, and we also don't have ballot initiatives here in Illinois. So you can't take a bill and like put it on the ballot and have people vote to enact it essentially. Yep. and like circumvent the legislature. And then we also have, you know, like when there's a vacancy uh, in office, we appoint people to replace it instead of having special elections. So that's why you wind up with people like a Kelly Cassidy, who I feel like doesn't feel like she answers to people because she knows her seat's safe forever, at least the one she has, not the one that she wanted. But, you know, it's like she's put in by appointment. And then it's like, well, what, what did you really, you didn't really earn that seat. Yeah, and you you have to have legislators on your side. And Rachel's been speaking with quite a few. And f- from most of them, what we hear, like when we bring up the con the the discussion about gut and replace being unconstitutional, say, oh well, you'll never get anywhere with that. And it's like, well, this is the real problem here. Like it, it, we can, you know. As an organization, we can make, I wrote 10 pages and went and did oral testimony and played by the rules and did all the things. Uh, and in the end, it, that doesn't really, really matter if, if we're being undercut by this corrupt process. And I hate to use the word corrupt um, because it, it's not really corrupt. What it is, is it's, it's, it's a lack of transparency. It's a lack of input. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be, this is supposed to be, they're supposed to be representing us and, and putting our thoughts forward. But if you're just making deals behind closed doors, there's, we, what can we as citizens do? Uh, I mean, it sure sounds like corruption. (laughs) Well, you can, I I just, I don't like to say it because everyone says it. Uh, Illinois is corrupt. Illinois politics, corruption, corruption. This guy's corrupt. That guy's corrupt. This process is corrupt. Well, there is, there's always corruption, but I do feel like in Illinois, there's just few ways around it you know like like i was saying like about the gut and replace or about not having ballot initiatives like there's there just doesn't seem like a way to circumvent it no that's that's really where we're at is you know we've spent five years doing these trying to play by the book and 
uh, thought figured we we knew just about uh, every step of the way because uh, we had come full circle. We did the, the public comments and we we worked with the industry for years and come back around, update the rules and do another public comments, you know, improve. Um, but when this all this started going down, I was like, maybe five years isn't enough. Like you can pay attention for five years and still not know everything. So, um, you know, we definitely learned a lesson with this and, uh, in it, as we move forward, we will definitely strongly advocate against, um, shell bills and gut and replace. I think it's just, it's, it's not fair to the citizens and it's, it's for any legislator to, to be like, well, that's just the way it is. And that's the way it's always going to be. Uh, those people need to be voted out. That's all yep. I'm saying. Well, because when you do when you're doing shell bills and the gut and replace, that's when you have these sessions that are like in the extended weeks and no one's really getting the final language on these things. And they're like coming out like that's kind of what you're saying about it not being transparent. Like, yeah, the bill hasn't been out there for weeks for everyone to read and kind of go over and see what everything is all in there, whether or not you want to support it or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and. How, how can we make an informed decision? How can the legislators make an informed decision when you give them what they did was they, they threw, you know, dozens or hundred, a hundred plus pages into a bill that really has nothing to do with the budget when everybody's focused on the budget uh, and they expect you to read every bit of it and understand every bit of it. If you haven't been following the industry since it started, you're going to have a very hard time understanding the, all the little loops and, and, um, uh, road bumps that they that they put in this type of legislation. You have to have experience with it to understand it. If you don't understand it, how can you vote on it? It's it it doesn't give. I mean, certain legislators are never going to be cannabis experts, right? They're going to vote with their party, or they're going to vote with whoever they think is the expert who's informing them, uh, and if or contributing to their campaigns. The same 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 right? Like you you're going right. to have. Right. You're going to have people who can give you contributions and then also tell you uh, children are dying from Delta eight. Right. Right. Well, I was just, I, the reason I said that is because I think it's funny. We're having a conversation about corruption and you're right. It's not like they're being bribed. They're being contributed to. Uh, yeah. The way campaign <laughs> finance works, like I don't even want to get into that. Like sure. let's just talk about the way the process ends up for us on on the hemp side we we end up with with what we just saw go down in may and in in the end like right like we can say oh delta 8 was very close to being banned um and, and can it, i can i ask language, though, do you guys make like contributions to because like these these people do they make big big money contributions so are you do you have to like fight that at all like how do you no, fight that you don't yeah. we don't make contributions to any campaigns um, what we do is we, we, again, we follow the, the process, uh, because we are constituents of a representative in a district. We, uh, that's our primary contact. Uh, we, you know, we do the way you're supposed to do it. it, it, <laughs> yeah. it you, you know, nice guys finish last, right? That type of thing is what happens when you have these, these, uh, this like gut and replace process that, that is permissible in, in our uh, assemblies. Uh, and, uh, to, to be involved with it on any other level, essentially you're, you're trying to show up and complain about things. Uh, and, and you're fight, you're, you know, don't, stu don't argue with an idiot. They'll bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. Right. 
So that that's that's what happens when you get into the mudslinging with the uh, with the people who are professionals. Uh, you have people who are professional lobbyists making you know six figure salaries to specifically to do this these types of actions. Uh, and as your average citizen or even your your agricultural organization, uh, you really uh, on the resource front you really can't keep up with that. Uh, we can organize and we can grassroots our way into getting our voices heard, but uh, it, 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 there's a lot of noise out there too. Uh, and um, the sensationalism is, seems to be what what is pervasive throughout our discussions with everyone in the aftermath of this. Is it seems like all the talking points that that were were sensationalized about children dying and. Delta Eight being needing a ban uh, were the ones that became memorable, uh, and that that that's what people are looking for now in this October session is for some more movement on the in the veto session on this this front. Can I play a, a small clip that I recently played? And I'm going to play a clip that I recently played with Philip that I think is really important to, and it just proves your point. Now, mind you, this was a video from four years ago, and it's kind of talking about what we're talking about right now, but it really talks about how journalism can shape these conversations, which I think is very apropos of what we're talking about. So uh, I'm going to switch it over to the video. Just holler if you can't hear it or anything. At deep into the role that journalists played in all of this, which was humongous. You know, journalists are sculptors of public opinion, and it became the standard way of reporting on any of these things to say that they're bad, to sensationalize it, and to not have any consideration for what that would do. Because anytime a journalist writes some scare story, they can really mess with drug policy in a serious way. It might seem like nothing, like, oh, there's a bunch of people in Brooklyn and they overdosed on some obscure synthetic cannabinoid AMB Fubinica who cares about AMB Fubinica no big deal say that it turns people into zombies and if it gets thrown into schedule one who cares not a big deal well that's a very short-sighted way of thinking about all of this because that's exactly what happened with psychedelics and then we're not learning from the mistakes of the past that just because something it's fun to sensationalize and talk about how dangerous it is at this moment doesn't mean that 10 years from now we're going to recognize that it has serious therapeutic potential and we made a big mistake outlawing it. And I think a lot of that also comes from this sort of us versus them mentality that people have where it's cannabis is good, synthetic cannabinoids are bad. Well, synthetic cannabinoids don't have to be bad for cannabis to be good. Cannabis can be good without something else being bad to counterbalance it. You don't need to hate something to justify your love of cannabis. And this whole hatred of synthetic cannabinoids, I think is totally misdirected because these are products of prohibition that most people wouldn't even want to use in the first place. And when they do use them, they don't know what they're taking. They don't know what dose they're consuming. And so of course they're having bad experiences. That would happen with almost any drug, caffeine included, if people just consumed enormous unmeasured doses without having any idea what they were getting into. And so they're thrown into schedule one. Well, what happens if 30 years from now, once the therapeutic potential of cannabinoids is being really seriously explored, we find out that that AMB Fubinica that everyone was saying turned homeless people into zombies in Brooklyn in 2017 turns out to activate a certain subtype of the CB1 receptor that's especially useful for Parkinson's disease or something like that. Mm. Then we're going to regret having done that. So we have to be very careful, you know, and, and we need to remember the mistakes of the past. Chris, what do you think about that? Do you feel like it was a good, uh, solid 
relation I just made to our topic of conversation? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, and I think what came, what stood out to me the most was his use of the word synthetic. So in the case that he was talking about, it truly was a synthetic. Um, but we also have people running around calling Delta eight synthetic. Um, and it, you know, as uh, my, my understanding is it does naturally occur in the plant, but at levels too low for commercial extraction and production, uh, and so you have the conversion process happening. Um, and that's another classic argument um, by opponents of uh, hemp-derived cannabinoids is, well, the intent of the farm bill was never to allow anyone to consume intoxicating cannabinoids, uh, you know, federal legally, uh, uh, legal at the federal level. And uh, I always ask people like, if you could, if you, because I've looked for it, um, if you could, please point me to whatever article or whatever, whatever story that you saw that the people who wrote the definition of the word hemp in the farm bill uh, put out stating their intent. Because when you read that definition, it's very, very clear when they talk about derivatives and isomers and salts and salts of isomers. And when they, they get into that type of language, you know, there were no mistakes. There, there was no, uh, over there's, there's no, uh, um, uh, like over like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there was no uh, like blind spots. Uh, they, they obviously, yes. Yeah. It wasn't an oversight the way that they wrote this. It was very, very clear what they were trying to do. Um, and to, to say that no one was aware of Delta eight in 2018, uh, when, when the language was written or 2017, when the language was written is also not true. Um, so we can, we can get into that, uh, with whoever, whoever comes through and usually it's cannabis people saying it was a mistake in the farm bill. And that's why you have Delta eight. It's like, I don't think it was a mistake. Okay. This is like one of the, one of the, um, uh, like keystone pieces of legislation that passes and when, in the years that it passes, you know, every four or five years it goes through, they don't, they know that if they make mistakes in this uh, in, in this legislation, there will be serious consequences. Uh, and so they don't do that. And, and in the, when they first passed it, I was, I didn't like it because of the 0.3%. They, they defined hemp as anything under 0.3%. And I was like, uh, well, that shouldn't be there, but we can, that's now we're getting into the territory of federal legalization in general of cannabis overall. Uh, we're, we're existing in this system where we're like, okay, we, by putting all of our energy and effort into the current scheme of things, we're, we're complicitly agreeing that uh, cannabis should be illegal and that this ecosystem should exist because we're, we're working within this system to try to change it within the uh, heavily taxed and regulated scheme that it has right now. And we're, we're, we're accepting that as, as status quo and not just outright rejecting that because Hey, now we can go, we can drive 20 or 30 minutes to the, to the weed store and get all the, well, up to two, two and a half ounces at a time. Right. Uh, and so something's better than nothing, but if we're, if, if this is the way it's going to be forever, 
um, I, I think we need to reassess where we're at uh, on the federal level uh, and, and that a lot of this goes away at that point. Um, but in the meantime, we have people who have staked their lives and their life savings and their businesses on this model of hemp derived cannabinoids. And as an industry group, uh, an association that represents these people, we, we uh, feel strongly that we, sh- we need to advocate for them and for the legality of what they're doing. Uh, and so anything that that goes after that, we we object to. Uh, and um, I, I, I I'm not sure how we could have done better uh, with this current legislative uh, uh, shenanigans that were going on. Uh, like I said, it's it's it to me, it feels more like cannabis industry drama than it does hemp industry uh, directly related to the hemp industry. I know there was a lot of people out there saying this is, uh, this is it. This is it for the hemp industry. Uh, Delta is going to get banned. CBD is going to get banned. Uh, they're going to change. They're going to change the ways that, um, when you grow hemp, you, you end up, if you go hot, now you've got cannabis and now you're breaking cannabis regulation. Uh, and you can be fined and penalized under cannabis regulation for growing your hemp. Uh, and so that all of these arguments, like that, they may be that they're, they're they're valid concerns from people who have staked their livelihood on this issue. Um, but at the same time, no, no bill ever came out that said it was going to do this. Nothing was ever read that said this was actually going to happen. So it's, it's very hard to be in a position like, like where we are, where we, we, we try to do the best thing we can for the industry and for our members in the state. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to go chasing shadows, right? Uh, you, to put all of this energy and effort into something that is um, not going to produce results. Like if, if you can spend a hundred hours doing something and, and in the end, uh, at the end of the legislative session, nothing happened, right? But if we spent zero hours doing nothing, and at the end of the legislative session, nothing happened, which one works out better for you? You know what I mean? You didn't spend 100 hours of your time stressing out, staying up late, pulling your hair out, calling people on the phone late at night, all of that stuff that that, that those organizational efforts definitely did happen uh, throughout many of the uh, the people in the industry that that we're familiar with. Uh, we sent there's people down there in Springfield and there was people up in Chicago at the same time, both talking about this issue. Uh, and, and that was earlier in May. Uh, and as, as admirable and, and laudable as all of those efforts were, were, th- were they actually impactful on the level that we would have hoped them to be for that level of mobilization and coordination? Or was it just more noise? Was it, was it, would, would that energy have been better spent uh, um, internally organizing and creating a united front to push towards uh, uh, the something similar to what we we put in on our public comments months ago? Uh, I, I think to to be you to be as reactionary as as we ended up having to be. Um, should never be the case. But again, when, when the cannabis industry is pushing the narrative, when, when the narrative is 100% coming from uh, multi-state operators and uh, legislators who are intimately involved with the cannabis industry, um, 
you're 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 being exclusionary to the farmers and the small business owners who they really couldn't care what cannabis is about they have their hemp business and they they just want you to keep off their lawn uh and uh, i don't know I, f- I i feel like i've been going on for a while but is that does that make sense like uh i i don't know uh the, it's 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 a tough spot it's a tough spot for us to be in uh when when things like this happen uh, and I, do I feel good about the way it all played out? No, I, I that's why, we, like I said, we learned a lesson. We need to advocate against gut and replace. We need to be able to, it'll present, it'll, it'll prevent a lot of the issues that we have with, like you, like you said, Philip, the, um, the, the market demand study. Uh, if, if, if you're going to put these types of things into law, it needs to have a public comment period and that public comments need to be respected by the people who are implementing them. Uh, and this is the way things need to work. If they don't, we're, go- we're going to have more troubles. And, and that's why in our comments, we, the idea is to add as little as possible to make it simple and still get what you want. When, when you put, when you create a bill, that's extremely complicated. No legislator is going to want to vote on that. If, if I give you a one page, a one page amendment that says, give me this and we, and we're all good. That's easy to understand. If I give you a hundred pages where hemp is hidden inside 99 pages of cannabis stuff, people are going to, their bullshit detector is going to go off and they're going to say, I'm not voting on this. This is going to die. And, and if it dies, that's, it's easier to kill a bill than to pass a bill, right? So whoever wanted to stop, if you didn't want craft growers to have more canopy space, kill the bill. Throw some random shit in there about Delta 8. Throw some, throw, it's easy. It's easy. That was, that was exactly what I think happened was they were originally fighting about a commission or an agency. You know, I think whatever, they'd think they'd be able to influence either one. But it's like you cause fights just so nothing passes because the companies that like would want a Delta 8 ban or to kill this omnibus bill, they benefit just from things staying the same as they are right now. Like if no new cannabis law ever passed, the people in business right now would be totally fine with that. Well, and same thing for the hemp industry. Right now, things are good. You right, can, right. Sell, you yeah, can yeah. sell your Delta 8. It's the opposite no, side of the same. No thing. action gets you more of the same, which for us is not bad. Now we can talk about public safety concerns. And again, I'll loop back to, well, my, my eight-year-old kid can go to the gas station and buy 60, 72 ounces of Monster and drink them with no parental supervision. You know what I mean? So that, that whole, if it's a public safety issue, it's been ongoing for years. If it's an emergency, this has been happening for years. There, the, it's for you to say that this has to be done immediately because there's a safety issue that, you know, it, it's, it doesn't really matter at this point. Like I said in the comment, it doesn't matter what, where you're coming from. Something has to be done. If we have to do something, let's do as little as possible to get the things that we need. And we've, like I said, we already put in the comment. We, if, if anyone, any legislators out there, any industry groups want to talk to us about that comment, happy to dissect every little detail. We, we put this comment in front of not only 
Pam Harmon and the Department of Ag, but also um, people from the USDA. And they said, this is exactly the type of comment we're looking for. Um, we, we need to have a, a very big picture perspective. The, uh, some of the people, some of the hemp people that were advocating against uh, the Delta-8 ban or the Delta-8 uh, amendments that were happening in the cannabis, um, the cannabis omnibus, they uh, they ended up getting a, a, a bill introduced uh, into the the legislative session in May. Um, do you remember the the forty one oh one forty one oh one HB forty one oh one? So I think it was uh, Rep Ford was the one who introduced that one, uh, and. So these hemp people, they put it in there and they say, hey, if, uh, instead of banning us, can you please just just look at this bill? This bill gives us what we want. Uh, and then we get feedback from some of our other members who read that bill saying, if this bill passes, I'm out of business. So what was it? What was in that bill that would have put them out of business? Uh, it specifically a lot of like cottage food slash like commercial kitchen type stuff, like spaces that were being used to prepare um oh okay so yeah. kind of just like a barrier to entry like you would have to have an industrial kitchen to produce your things and exactly exactly right so we we kind of we have a lot of members that are small farmers that make products on their farm do we feel like that shouldn't be allowed does does it's it, it, it you know for a, a product that it, it's codified into federal law that it is an agricultural commodity it is hemp uh, do you, do you really need all of this surrounding that, especially when they've been doing this for years and they have a strong customer base who loves their farm to, uh, you know, seed to shelf sort of approach that they do on their farm, uh, it, for, for something like that to go through the, you know, the old phrases, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So it, if you're going to make some kind of sweeping change, it's best to do, the absolute bare minimum. And that's, that's what's in our suggestion is our, our oral testimony on this is add a couple definitions, make a couple new rules. Don't change the law. You, by adding all of that language, you're changing too much in the law at one time. It's right. going to create shockwaves and, and destabilize the industry more than you think it will. It might be good for the, for the limited group that you came up with this language with. But again, you, you did this under the gun. You didn't have the time to reach out to stakeholders for months and come up with something comprehensive. You just threw whatever could stick to the wall that wasn't going to put you immediate, put your company immediately out of business. Whereas now, now there's some company up north in Illinois that's going to go out because of this. Some company down south is going to go out because of this. Just because your company or around the suburbs of Chicago is not going to go out because of this, because you're using a commercial kitchen or you're already following all of these cannabis processes because you're a, you were someone who was trying to become a, a cannabis license holder and, and ended up not getting awarded a license and going into the hemp industry. Uh, you were set for that. You've already invested in all that. Hemp is not about that. Hemp is about uh, keeping it simple, making it. It's, it's about the people who grow. It's about the farmers. That's, that's what uh, the, the IHGA has always been about. We, we support all aspects of the industry, but that's why we're the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, right? The, the people who own the means of production are the ones that uh, are affected the most. If, if you can't grow because of 
regulation, that's a problem. And, and for farmers, it, there's a lot of those. Uh, and when we always, and not just about hemp, just in general for agricultural in general, you have so many uh, barriers for you to be able to do what you want. And I think, um, I think it was Joel Salatin uh, who was quoted as saying, uh, everything I want to do is illegal uh, with regarding to, with regard to his, his farm. Yeah. So it was, it's like, not just in life. <laughs> right, right, right. I was going to say, amen, baby. Uh, amen. Yeah. So <laughs> because there's, because somewhere, somewhere along the line, someone got sick from something and then they passed the law and they said, you can, no one can ever do this ever again for the rest of eternity. Uh, and that, those that, looping back to that clip you played Cole, I mean, it, it makes it, like I said, it, you could have the best intentions in the world. You write too many, you write too much legal language. It will always be twisted. It will always have un, unintended consequences. And so for the, I, the way I, the way we see it as the IHGA, the way I see it as the person who did most of the research to, to generate this train of thought uh, is give us, give us a couple additional definitions. That's all we need out of, out of all this crazy legislative stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. All we need is a couple of legislators to say, okay, we just need these couple of definitions. This will enable IDOA to do the, what they do best, which is make rules that work and it won't create shockwaves throughout the industry and disrupt the way They're that simple and reasonable. Done. They're simple and right. reasonable. That's the way it goes. That, you know, that, they, they, simple, they have to be, but they're reasonable as well. Like Phil and I were talking about it. Like we, I guess, agree, like, you know, 21 age limit. They should, they, there should be a labeling, like you said, because we don't want people consuming enormous unmeasured doses, or at least if they do, we want them to know what they're getting in for roller coaster. Right. Yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, no, there's, there's two different crowds. I feel like there's the crowd that wants that hundred milligram per serving dosage. And that's and what I'm saying. I'm in the thousand crowd. milligram Ooh. chocolate bar. Yeah. The, <laughs> like they want every piece of that chocolate bar to have a hundred milligrams in it. Right. And then there's the crowd that wants the five milligram beverage or the five milligram gummy or whatever. And that it's the, like their daily vitamin. Uh, and they don't want to go on the roller coaster. Um, sure. And, and for those people, yeah, you, I mean, we, though, anyone who has a preference for the dosage that they're taking, those aren't the people we need to worry about. They're already reading the label and, and any new product they're entering, they enter at the shallow end of the pool. They, they cut one in half and, and try it and wait four hours. And then you know, they'll go from there. Those are the responsible customers. They're already doing that. They're already looking for the COA. They're already uh, uh, trying to get to know the producer and, and the source and all of those things. That that's not who we're, who we're concerned about. We're concerned about the people who are like, well, this looks like candy. Uh, I'll, I'll buy this bag of Skittles. And, and then they'll, they'll, you know, eat the whole bag on a road trip or something, uh, and then end up at a rest stop, like bugging out with their pants around their ankles or something, you know, like, and, and getting arrested. Uh, and, and so the, and getting potentially and by the getting way, the, the arresting, the arresting part is the most harmful thing that's going to happen to them. They could have just wrote it out, but right, <laughs> right, right. Right, right. Um, They're not going to die. <laughs> and, and again, if and if your motor vehicle is involved, now you're you're looking at driving under the influence or driving while intoxicated or some other you know endangerment type charge, reckless driving type charge that it it's totally avoidable as long as there's reasonable 
packaging and labeling requirements. If, if all you need to do is put, you know, 100 milligram or 1000 milligram or whatever on the package, that's fine. And we did, we, all this language is already out there. A lot of it's already in the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act. A lot of it's already in other hemp, hemp USDA approved hemp plans uh, from other state departments of agriculture. Um, very simple language that says this label must say this, it must say this, it must have a QR code or a link to the COA, you know, those types of things. Uh, that it's, it's all right there. Like if you want that stuff, it's not hard to get it into. I think the disconnect people have is it doesn't need to go into the law. It needs to go into the rules. Uh, and, and that's, that's where I think people get overzealous and they write these big bills that they're easier to ignore and do nothing about than to pass. Right. It's like we're not learning the less the craft canopy thing. It's written into law. That's why they can't fucking make it budge. Right. right. Learn right. the lesson. Don't write it into law. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, sorry. Um, hey, no, it, we, we got to wrap in about 10 minutes, but uh, I, I yeah, keep going. I, and I wanted to give space for Phil, too, if he had anything. Well, I was just wondering if there was any talk like with the Delta aid stuff about THCA mm. and like banning that or trying to like, yeah, good question. It is a great question. Um, and I, I don't know, my opinion on this is a little bit different than I think most people's is um, there's a good, a good resource out there, which sometimes I agree with. Sometimes I don't uh, I believe his name is Rod, Rod Knight. Rod Knight. I think it's Rod Knight. He's uh, he's a lawyer who's been paying attention to this type of stuff. He occasionally writes about Delta 8 or recently he published one about uh, THCA. And he was like, well, you can see through this pre pre harvest COA that's approved by the uh, by the State Department of Ag or by the USDA that this this uh, this THCA flower passed its pre harvest. But when the producer uh, then selectively and carefully harvests the best buds and dries and cures them in, a, in an expert way. Uh, all of a sudden now we have THCA levels of 16 or 18%. And, and when it passed the USDA pre-harvest, it was like, you know, compliant hemp. It was 0 0.3. So when it comes to THCA flower, I feel like there's, it's, there's no, I thought, good they, were, I thought they were, they were seen as being like totally separate. Like I thought like you could have flour that was like 20% THCA as long as there was and just like for folks that are curious, 3% THC. I just want to say Rob Kite. Go Rob ahead. Kite. Okay. Yeah. He, or if you, did you hear what he asked? Sorry. I did, I hated to cut him off, but I wanted to make sure to get that in there. Just because I know there's some like businesses in Illinois who that's like their business models and I'm assuming they're operating under like a hemp license. So I was just wondering if there was like any talk of that in the legislature or if they're even aware of it. <laughs> Not as much as they are Delta 8. Delta 8 is right, the, yeah. the, the buzzword. But, but um, which is just which is just funny, right? And shows how little they know about any of this. Because that's like, you can go to a, a dispensary here in the city, like a licensed one, and you could probably find a high THCA, low THC product that would probably pass your farm bill stipulations um but yeah it's just funny that they don't see how that's like 
it's allowed under the farm bill and you guys are getting all upset about Delta eight, but there's literally flour being sold like in the smoke shop down the street for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a uh, a good point. Um, early on in in the Illinois rules, it was Delta Nine only, uh, so you could have flour with ten percent THCA, and it would still be compliant hemp. Now, as soon as you take your lighter to that, now you've decarbed it, and you're smoking you're smoking the good stuff, uh, and that's basically how people are. Uh, justifying selling THCA flour. I think, I think there's no way to get around decarboxylation, right? I think the only thing you have here is it's a technicality. You're, you're selling a product that passed pre-harvest inspection and you're using that COA to justify it as valid for interstate commerce under the USDA. But when you actually go and test the flour in that bag, now you're talking about stuff that is 10 or more percent THCA and the total THC percentage is high enough to be considered intoxicating, whatever, whatever that might be, whatever that might mean to you or, or anybody else. I, I wouldn't, I would not invest my life savings into a THCA flour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that you're skirting the line much harder with that than you are with Delta eight or any other cannabinoid because mm-hmm. you're going straight for Delta nine. You're, you're, uh, I mean, more power to you to, to explore the frontier and to go for it and just be like, you know, this is essentially unenforceable anyway. And the way the rules are written, uh, you know, uh, with my pre-harvest, if all you're going to require is a pre-harvest, then I'm going to play exactly by your rules and I'm going to max out my THCA on the back end. And there's nothing you can do about it because this is compliant. You've already uh, approved it for interstate commerce. This is all I need for interstate commerce. Okay, done. And, and so that, you know, more power to you if that's what you want to do. And I, and yet another reason to love the hemp industry, because there are plenty of people who are doing that. They, the, every time the, uh, the government or some, some law comes at them, they go, this is going to put me out of business. Absolutely not. I'm outraged and I will do everything in my power. This is the hill I will die on. Uh, and. Well, and my, my whole thing with that is Illinois in their adult use cannabis industry has like tried to pat itself on the back for intending it to be so socially equitable and to make it this really diverse industry. And like, that's more what the hemp industry is. The hemp industry is more accessible. There's fewer barriers to entry. There isn't all this crazy amount of regulation yet. So it's like, you know, more, more minorities, more people without money, more people that were harmed by the war on drugs can probably go pursue that at this point. They should really be trying to make the CRTA more like the hemp industry, if anything. <laughs> oh, definitely. And that's, I mean, that, I know we're running out of time here, but that's a great discussion to have is why do people want to be involved in the cannabis industry in the first place when they could just jump into hemp? Well, the only difference is the selling price, right? Yeah. And don't worry about it. We can keep going if, for a little bit. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, Phil, sorry, you, you have to go at seven, right? I'm good for a couple minutes. Okay, cool. Okay. If we want to, yeah, if we want to float that, we can. Okay, yeah, I figured you had a hard stop or something with the time limit. Okay. I'm just being mindful of Phil's time is all. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the more people that get into the canvas industry, now the supply increases, uh, demand stays the same. We know what happens when that happens. 
now all the money you've invested is everything's inflated. Uh, all the money you've invested now, your your return comes. It takes longer to get your return. So, uh, the whole you're you're participating in this fake ecosystem. This whole cannabis thing, like everyone gets the the reason why people are so dramatic about it is because there's a lot of money to be made. And I know it mm-hmm. sounds like simple and stupid, but like that's literally what's going on is everyone just wants that money. And it's like that's never a good like for you to for you to have a walled garden that that is your livelihood and to not let anybody else like it's okay for you, but it's not okay for somebody else. Uh then because you did all the license and had the money or whatever. Uh, well, and that's one of the things when they use the term social equity, Cole and I have come to this realization, like in the last couple of months, is that that doesn't mean equal treatment or like everyone getting a chance. Like that's what people, I think, think what that term means. What that term means is guaranteed market share. That's what that means to the people who use it in Illinois. And literally, <laughs> like on quote, somebody texted me, a licensee texted me that the other day. Social equity is guaranteed market share. Don't get it twisted. Because they yeah. see it as the existing operators had a hunch. Someone said this. I think it was that guy, J.R. Fleming, who was on recently. He said that the existing operators had 100% of the market share. So social equity is cutting them in to that market share. Which I get, but like to me, that just seems insane and silly. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Felt like insane. Like it seems insane because we're well. It's like I said before. It's like to really, if you wanted to make things socially equitable and make like the existing white wealthy men not control everything, you should have made them irrelevant by, like the hemp industry, expanding the market infinitely. And yes, a lot of people would fail, but you would have a massive amount of anyone who wanted to have a chance to do it. And if you wanted to give special funding or maybe social equity people get to sell for like a 10% tax rate instead of a 20 to 40% tax rate. You know, I feel like there could have been such a better way to financially incentivize it and not just lock everyone out. You know, if I may add, not only lock everyone out, but lock everyone out with criminal penalties. That's how they enforce these, these regulations. And that just freaking it. I don't know how, we can say we're addressing we're trying to right the wrongs of history we've we've acknowledged that the war on drugs was a failure but let's continue well, they're, this not, policy. Well, they're trying to ban delta eight now <laughs> right and then we're we're doing stuff like this it's like what are we doing uh not quite sure yeah it's... what are they smoking can i have some are they smoking delta not, eight Is that it's not they're... they're not smoking anything that's the problem okay. damn yeah true True. Sounds like salvia, if anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, um, any other thoughts on this? I'm not trying. Again, we can if we want to wrap this idea up. Uh, just to button it all up, I think just make sure you reach out to your reps and let them know how displeased you are with this whole situation and and that uh, cannabis should leave hemp people alone. Hemp people are on their own path. Uh, cannabis needs to stick into their own lane and um, 
you know, enjoy fighting over your, your walled garden while it still lasts. Uh, and, and hopefully all of this gets wiped out through federal legalization within the next couple of years. And none of us have to worry about this anymore, but until then the IHGA will continue to, uh, sort of bridge the gap and, and navigate the space to, to do the best that we can for our members and for the industry as, as we see it. And as, as our members tell us. I mean, as I see it, if you guys are like fighting a ban on Delta 8 and things like that, uh, you're like one of the only advocacy groups that's fighting for further decriminalization (laughs) or to like keep the decriminalization we have, at least, you know. Well, it's a huge thorn in our side to have to deal with Delta 9, to have to, to for you to create this whole ecosystem around Delta 9 where prices are inflated and licenses are ridiculous. Uh, and then to hold us to that standard, it's like, well, we, we just want to produce uh, a huge barrier for us producing and not just cannabinoids, but it, just fiber and grain uh, is compliance testing. And if compliance testing didn't exist, I would have we would have tens of thousands of acres. We would have farmers planting this stuff. But as soon as you tell them there's some special thing that you have to do. Like you can't just roll it out and plant it and, and be done with it. As soon as you tell them other stuff is involved, they're just like, oh, nope. Well, and, and that you could get a crop that you have to like completely destroy, right? Yeah, but it's not even that you, you raise that risk and they're like, well, absolutely not. But yeah. as soon as you tell them there's more than th- this requires more work than corn or soy, they're just like, nope, not for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, in, in, you know, the, the whole cannabis thing, uh, with the Delta nine, it, it needs to go away, but until then, you know, it's we, frustrating because it's the same fucking plant, right? Yeah, we, we live in this, yeah, we live in this world where everyone's okay with this, but not okay with that. And really it should all just go away. And we all just need to like, you know, elevate our thought process on this. Uh, but there's just, there's so much money to be made. So, We'll, we'll, we'll continue to call it out and, and to create content like this and be happy to uh, have another discussion soon with you, Cole. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can branch out into some other topics and just keep it, keep it fun and informal and yeah, be happy to create more content with you. It's been such a long time since we had our last, and there she is, since we had our last uh, uh, discussion. I feel like you, you've grown so much as a host and, and as a brand. And like, we're really proud to, to, you know, be circling back and working with you on, uh, same, same stuff, different day, but, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're a great voice in in the industry and in the space. And, and it's been great to meet with you, Phil, and and speak to you about this, uh, you know, very, very sharp perspective, uh, and, uh, just very happy to have the opportunity to, um, get our message out there and, and just have a good time. It's a good, you know, enjoy your Friday night. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I better way than talking about hemp, huh? That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, um, IllinoisHGA.com. There's plenty of events coming up as we covered in the beginning of the episode. Um, I want to thank you, Chris and Rachel, for coming back on. And uh, yeah, let's do this again. Let's talk. There's much more to talk about. Um, Phil would love you to have join, have you join that conversation as well. Uh, definitely appreciated your perspective throughout this conversation as always. And um, yeah. Uh, folks, I hope you ha- I found I hope you found as much value as I did in this conversation. 
this was a big one for me. So uh, thank you, Chris and Rachel, for making my Friday night. So thank you very much. Thank you, Cole. And thank you, Phil. Yep. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.